Yeah. You know, the battle is often too big for us, and we like to say that. It's too big for me. I can't handle that. I can't handle it. But God is bigger. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Him, And I'm Janice. And this program is called Bible Discovery TV. Thank you for joining us and being a part of this. this. is the 32nd year of going through the Word of God. And today we have an interesting study. Corey is here with Ryan. What are you doing? Well, I'm going to be taking a larger focus today and looking at the book of Deuteronomy as a whole. Ryan? Well, today we read about the descendants of Lot. And so in my segment, I'm going to be discussing what became of him and how. All right, very good. Look forward to that, Janice. What are you doing? Trust and obey. All right, very good. Take your Bible, the most important part of the books anywhere, and open it up and get a Bible guide. If you don't have one, we'll tell you how. And let's focus on chapter one of the book of Deuteronomy. Moses writes this book, and let's hear what God says through him. Deuteronomy 1, verses 19 through 33. So we departed from Horeb, and went through all that great and terrible wilderness which you saw on the way to the mountains of the Amorites, as the Lord our God had commanded us. Then we came to Kadesh Barnea, and I said to you, You have come to the mountains of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. Look! The Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it, as the Lord God of your fathers has spoken to you. Do not fear or be discouraged. And every one of you came near to me and said, Let us send men before us, and let them search out the land for us, and bring back word to us of the way by which we should go up, and of the cities into which we shall come. The plan pleased me well. So I took twelve of your men, one man from each tribe. And they departed and went up into the mountains, and came to the valley of Eshcol and spied it out. They also took some of the fruit of the land in their hands, and brought it down to us, and they brought back word to us, saying, It is a good land, which the Lord our God is giving us. Nevertheless, you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you complained in your tents and said, Because the Lord hates us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying, The people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. Moreover, we have seen the sons of the Anakim there. Then I said to you, do not be terrified or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you, he will fight for you, according to all he did for you in Egypt before your eyes, and in the wilderness, where you saw how the Lord your God carried you, as a man carries his son in all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet, for all that, you did not believe the Lord your God, who went in the way before you to search out a place for you to pitch your tents, to show you the way you should go, in the fire by night and in the cloud by day. 
Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 19 through 33. We continue with Deuteronomy chapter 1 to 3, a new book, very interesting, written by Moses. A lot of information in this book, Deuteronomy 1 to 3, is absolutely fascinating. At the age of 120, Moses was strong. He was a powerful man. Yet God took his life on Mount Nebo because his temper got to the best of him. When he struck the rock, rather than speaking to the rock as God had instructed him. That happened back in Numbers. For this reason, Moses would never enter into the promised land until Jesus. Now, the book of Deuteronomy is a collection of Moses' sermons on the law written at the end of his life to the next generation of Israelites. They would be the ones to enter and take control of the promised land. Like the book of Leviticus, Deuteronomy contains a vast amount of legal and practical applications of the law. But its message is not just for the Levites, it's for everyone. To impress the word of God on their hearts. Also, it's interesting because the Ten Commandments are listed again in Deuteronomy chapter 5 to remind the next generation to review their covenant made at Mount Sinai with a full and dedicated heart without complaint or waver. Moses encourages this new generation to obey the law of God because it is critical to live. The law of God is critical to live. That's something we should hear today. We should hear that because, you know, what's important is that the law of God is not some old thing that never, it's outdated. No, it's not. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and strength. No, that's not outdated. We need to remember that. Take your Bible guide and turn to today's passage. If you don't have one, they look like this. This is February. Write to us or call us or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com and click on it. And it'll take you to a page where you can make a donation. Thank you for your donations. We really appreciate them right now. Very helpful indeed. And uh, it'll take you to a place where you can download them as they're printed. So that becomes very, very important. Now, let's look at lost faith. Lost faith. Now, I, there's a lot of things that lost faith includes. We're going to talk about some of those today from Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 19 to 33. Father, help us as we open up the scripture to explain what's going on here. In this time when Moses is communicating, help us to hear what the Holy Spirit says through the man who's about ready to perish because God's going to take him, what he says as the last words of his life. Help us to hear that, Father, in Jesus' wonderful name. And we said together, amen and amen. Now, I believe this passage is so important for today that it becomes more relevant as we continue to read it in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 19 says, So we departed from Horeb and went through all that great and terrible wilderness. Look what he says, that great and terrible wilderness, which you saw on the way to the mountains of the Amorites, as the Lord our God had commanded us. 
Then we came to Kadesh, Barnea. And I said to you, you have come to the mountain of the Amorites, which the Lord, our God, is giving us. Look, the Lord, your God, has set the land before you. Go up and possess it as the Lord God of your fathers has spoken to you. Very important words. Listen, do not fear or be discouraged. Do not fear or be discouraged. And every one of you came near me and said, let us send men before us and let them search out the land for us and bring back word to us of the way by which we should go and of the cities into which we shall come. Boy, this is interesting. God had given his people the land and the plan, but the people were often afraid and wanted to check out the land before they went in, rather than trusting God. You know, I grew up in the United States of America. And I want to tell you something. I learned when, when we learned how to use money, I kept seeing these words on the money. And when I got to first grade, I began to read and all of that. In God we trust. That's what the money always said on the penny, on the quarter. But in God we trust. I find it fascinating that people are trying to get rid of money today. They want to use digital coins. That's interesting. And who do we trust? Digital money? Or do we trust in God? Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 23. The plan pleased me well. So I took 12 of your men, one man from each tribe, and they departed and went up into the mountains and came to the valley of Eskol. And spied it out. And they also took some of the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down to us. And they brought back word to us saying, it is a good land which the Lord our God is giving us. Nevertheless, you would not go up, but rebel against the command of the Lord your God. Rebel. Second point, Israel saw the land was good, but resisted because the fight felt too big. The fight felt too big. You see, we often see the battle as too big for us. And it often is, but it's not too big for God. Here we have the great movement of what we called the word of faith. The word of faith is not what a lot of people have couched it to be. It's believing God's will and believing God's desire to come into our hearts and with all of the things going on to help us get through them. Because it's too big. The problems are too much for us. But with the help of God, we can overcome. We can overcome. And beloved, that's what we need to learn. Very important. 127 to 33, and you complained in your tents and said, because of the Lord hates us, 
He has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites. Where can we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. Moreover, we have seen the sons of Anakim there. Then I said to you, do not be afraid or terrified of them. The Lord your God who goes before you, he will fight for you according to all he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son in all the ways that you went until you came to this place. Yet for that you did not believe the Lord your God who went up the way before you searched out the place for you to pitch your tents, to show you the way you should go in the fire by night and in the cloud by day. Last point. Israel saw the human problems and the negativity. God calls us to praise his name and trust him because he is stronger than any resistance whatsoever. Jesus Christ spoke to us and told us not to be afraid, not to be troubled by these times. This is the beginning of the end. This is the beginning of God's final reconciliation with the world. God is going to make things change in our lives. And this is very important. He has selected you and myself to live in this time. And I find that absolutely amazing. Now, a natural question that comes up when we get to Deuteronomy is why? Why is Deuteronomy even a book? It is essentially a retelling of the law that has already been given in the Old Testament. We've already read Exodus and Numbers and Leviticus. So, so why? Why Deuteronomy? Well, let's take a look. The Old Testament book of Deuteronomy is remembered as the fifth book of Moses. Its name comes from the Greek meaning second law. And while Deuteronomy is a kind of retelling of the Mosaic law, it's not an exact copy. It's better understood as an explanation of the Mosaic law to a new generation of Israelites about to enter the promised land. The author is focused on how the law should be applied once Israel is established and living in the land. While Deuteronomy presents itself as a series of speeches given by an aged Moses to this next generation, the general scholarly consensus is that it is a book compiled much later, around 622 BC, during the religious reforms of King Josiah. In this view, the theology of Deuteronomy is pitted against the earlier biblical books. It's claimed that it represents a radically different view of God. It is true that Deuteronomy emphasizes a more socially practical version of the law. For example, in its emphasis on protecting widows, orphans, and foreigners in the land. But this is also what one would expect if the law was moving from theoretical application in the wilderness into a settled city life post-conquest. It's widely accepted that later editing must have been done to the original text. There are references that require time to have passed since the actual events. There are third-person mentions of Moses and the account of his death in chapter 34. Interestingly, if Deuteronomy was used consistently in public ceremonies, as was in fact commanded in chapter 31, this would explain why later amendments were introduced. 
It's been discovered that the book as a whole mimics the literary structure of a Hittite vassal treaty. These treaties were made between a conquering king and his newly conquered people. This choice of structure says a lot about what the author was intending to communicate to the Israelites about God as their king. The structure also highlights the monotheistic bent of Israel. When witnesses are called, rather than the pagan version of calling other gods and goddesses, Deuteronomy calls the heavens and the earth themselves to testify against Israel. The vassal treaty structure may also provide some evidence for an earlier date of composition. The structure itself has an earlier and later form. Deuteronomy follows the decidedly earlier form structure that dates to the second millennium BC. You know, I think it's a it's a really interesting element of the book of Deuteronomy, you know, you know, it being written in the style of a suzerain vassal treaty. We get to see how God operates, how God treats this next generation of his people. You know, they're in a different scenario. They're not having to just kind of uh, hold everything in a holding pattern. They're not waiting in the wilderness anymore. They're getting ready to move into the promised land into a very difficult time period, you know, of their lives. And so God rearranges the law. He doesn't change the substance of the law, but he speaks it in a different way to them, in a way that they can understand it on a different level. They can understand their relationship to God and 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 as such, why they should be following this law in the first place. So God as king, God as protector, and them as the vassals, them as the people underneath this new king. Uh, and for us, you know, it not only helps us understand that that's the way that God operates and communicates, it also helps us to date the book of De Deuteronomy to a very early time period that, you know, without this, this treaty format, we probably wouldn't be able to do. Very interesting, Corey. Excellent. Excellent work, Ryan. Yeah, well, today my segment is based on Deuteronomy chapter 2, where God instructs the Israelites not to harass either the Moabites or the Ammonites, because these were Lot's descendants, and the Lord had given them those particular areas of land as an inheritance. But what I want to bring to light today is how these two people groups came to be. Unfortunately, it isn't pretty. To learn of their origin, we need to go back to Genesis chapter 19, which records what happened in the aftermath of the destruction of Sodom. Check it out. As if Lot had not already sufficiently tested the grace and mercy of God by tarrying so long in Sodom prior to its destruction, he dares now to barter over real estate also. Though God in his wisdom instructs him to flee to the mountains, Lot pleads that he be allowed to escape instead to the small city of Zor. Although God graciously grants his request and even spares that city from the impending destruction, Lot later leaves that place in favor of those mountains because he was afraid to dwell in Zor. Why Lot grew fearful of living there isn't entirely clear. Maybe he realized that the city was just as morally depraved as Sodom was and thought that it too would eventually be destroyed. It's also possible that the citizens of Zor didn't want Lot living there because as a sole surviving family, they may have been seen as suspicious. Whatever the reason, Lot decides to take his daughters up into the refuge of the mountains to become cave dwellers. Their former life of riches and luxury was over. Worse still, Lot's decision now to move to such a remote location also had unexpected consequences. Indeed, as the eldest sister explains, our father is old and there is no man on the earth to come into us. 
Considering that they had just come from Zor, which was still inhabited, her words are rather surprising. Were the men of Zor unavailable? If indeed the people there saw Lot's family as a bad omen, then their men may not have been willing to marry them. While we can only speculate, Lot's daughters conclude that their isolated existence will make finding husbands next to impossible. And so, they resort to a truly abominable act. Come, says the firstborn, let's make our father drink wine and we'll lie with him, that we may preserve the lineage of our father. For two consecutive nights they get their father so drunk that he doesn't even realize what's transpired. Thus both the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. To the elder sister was born Moab, a name literally meaning from father. His descendants were known as the Moabites. And to the younger was born Ben-Ami, meaning son of my kin, who became the father of the Ammonites. It is highly ironic that Lot had earlier offered up his two daughters to the Sodomite mob, but in the end, he himself is hoodwinked into an illicit union with them. Truly, the women's judgment concerning how to resolve a difficult situation is as unacceptable as their father's is. And while the Bible never openly condemns the incident, the fact that the women knew their father would never willingly consent to such an act shows that it was unnatural. And even though Lot's poor life choices led him to this tragic point, God still preserved his life, primarily because God remembered Abraham, but also because in God's eyes Lot was righteous, and God does not destroy the righteous with the wicked. The history of Lot is really tragic, and as I mentioned in the segment, while the Bible doesn't openly condemn this act by Lot's daughters, it doesn't have to because the very fact that Lot wouldn't have willingly consented to it shows that it was wrong. But instead of prayer or the investigation of facts, they decided to go the way of the Sodomites. And even though this episode does predate the Mosaic Law, which strictly forbids incest, it appears that there was some sort of a proto-law. As a matter of fact, we even see by Cain and Abel's time that God had standards for sacrifices, which you can read about in Genesis chapter 4. And Noah was instructed to distinguish between clean and unclean animals in Genesis 7. And if that's not enough, the well-known laws of Hammurabi were contemporary with this time period and forbade these kinds of unions as well. But as the old adage goes, Lot could take his daughters out of Sodom, but he couldn't take Sodom out of his daughters. And what resulted was the people groups of the Moabites and the Ammonites who became terrible, terrible enemies of Israel. It wasn't a good situation. No, it wasn't. And, uh, but it's fascinating because Ruth is also a Moabite. Absolutely, She's for sure. She's of Christ. So that's really interesting. Very good, Ryan. Thank and, you. And it goes to show you that it doesn't matter, you know, where you're born or, you know, your origins. If you believe in God, if you trust in God. God will forgive you. You know, you're a child of his. So, yeah, that, yeah. that, that is absolutely amazing. Janice? Well, I titled this Trust and Obey. You remember that chorus? Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. I thought of that as I was reading this portion of the stubbornness of the people, the Israelites, who refused to enter the promised land that God had given them. And we read that, we see the tribal leaders were appointed, and then down in verse 19, Israel's refusal to enter the land and in verse 26 and 27, Moses says, Nevertheless, you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God, and you complained in your tents, and said, 
because the Lord hates us. He has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Now we have the, the, the foresight to see in the Bible what God's plans were for them. They were living in it and had this idea that they had the wrong view of God and what his plans were. And often in our own tents, if we want to call these bodies our tents, oftentimes we complain. We complain about the direction perhaps that we see God putting forward for us. As we reach out to him as believers, as followers of Christ, we acknowledge him in everything that we do. We don't lean on our own understanding, but we acknowledge him and we trust him because he knows our future. He knows our purpose. And we need to get in line with that. But oftentimes, don't we? We complain about it. And what is our view of God? Is our view coming that he's, he's just waiting to squish us? That if we make a mistake, he's going to come and slap us down? Is that the attitude that we have? Is that how we think of the Lord our God? And sometimes we do. Sometimes that is the attitude that we have. That's the opinion. That is the God that we've learned about, and that's not who he is. I'd like to read to you John 3, verses 16 and 17, because how we think about God, what we know about God, really changes our outlook, whether we can trust and obey what God tells us to do. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You see, we're already condemned. We're born in sin, but God has made a way to come back to him, to be reconciled to him, the only way, can we do it by good works, by being a good person? No. The only one that can change that is through his son, Jesus Christ, who came and lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose again in three days, and comes to give us life eternal. When you give your heart to him, you follow him, you ask for his help, he will help you, and he will change you. You're not going to be perfect. None of us are. We come to the Lord and we learn to trust, trust in his word, and not just trust in his word, but obey it. like to tell you this at the end of the program. We pray for you uh, and we pray for you live, 3.30 to 4.30. That's Eastern time, Eastern Standard Time. That's New York time. And uh, when you come to us, we pray for you live on Facebook, YouTube, and Bible Discovery. So join us over there. Today, we need to pray, Lord, I want to be obedient to your word. I want to be obedient to your word. I want to be obedient to your ways. Help me. 